Hi, welcome to Knowing God with Heart and Mind, the weekly virtual church Bible study, classroom Bible study from Shiloh United Methodist Church in Jasper, Indiana, led by me, Pastor Dan, and my daughter Bethany, as this week we will bring you episode 26 of the Revelation Bible study, episode 26, recorded on Sunday, October the 14th, 2018. This is a weekly version of a church classroom Bible study with the idea that we would use this internet venue as a way of communicating with each other despite the uh, distances that separate us or the schedules that make it hard for you to be in church as often as you would like. Either way, we hope that you are connected with the church community and we urge you to find the church family that God has in mind for you and don't give up in persevering in that endeavor. You'll be glad you did. But for now, let's worship together. Our psalm reading today is Psalm 27, a psalm of David. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle, and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me, at this, at his tabernacle, will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me when and answer me. My heart says to you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in the straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out violence. I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Oh God, have mercy on us as we call upon your name, just as the psalmist has said. We are looking for your release and your deliverance in our times of trouble. We trust you as our strong house of, 
of protection and provision. We go to your temple, that is, we go to the place where you dwell, which is in our hearts now. And so because of Jesus, we can see you dwelling in our hearts. And yet so often we go through life without going inside to the place where you are waiting to comfort us, to protect us from crime, uh, the crime from sin, Lord, from the, the crime that Satan would impose upon us when in fact we are already safe within your protection. So have mercy on us, O oh God, because of our faithlessness. Show us your way, lead us closer to you as we read again from the scriptures and see how awful things will be in the last days. We look forward to your glory in those days as well, knowing that we dwell secure in your house, thanks to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. back at it again Bethany and uh, as I was preparing today I kind of decided that I'd like to go back to the beginning of chapter 12 instead of picking up exactly where we left off last time so uh, what I'm thinking is that uh, as in order to make better sense of what we heard or read in in the end of chapter 12 we need to kind of get a view of the, what we've already covered that we didn't make uh, last time. So last time we talked a lot about who this woman is and who this woman isn't and that kind of thing. But this time what I'd like to do is look at chapter 12 from uh, the point of view of, of this placement of this particular set of, of visions in the whole book of Revelation. In other words, some scholars refer to these as the parenthetical chapters, meaning that we're going through the story and we're sort of, uh, like in a lot of good uh, literature, you go from what's happening right now, John's on Patmos, he's minding his own business, and Jesus shows up, Jesus invites him to step into his, his uh, uh, place of timelessness that's outside of space and time as we understand it. And then he starts showing John things that have happened, things that are happening, and things that will happen. So John is, the, the whole book of Revelation is a description of things as they appear from God's point of view. In, it, as close as anybody on earth can describe it, he's describing what it looks like from outside of space and time, meaning that one minute he's talking about what he's witnessing that's actually part of our future. The next minute he's talking about what he witnessed 
as it was happening in his present. And yet he can also talk about what he is experiencing that has happened. Um, in other words, if you go back to something I said several weeks ago, episodes ago, about how I kind of think that the Mount of Transfiguration and Moses's trip to the burning bush, which wasn't really a bush that was on fire, but a hole in the fabric of time and space that reveals the, God, the throne room of God, and then you look at uh, Elisha's experience of, of the encounter with God. In other words, I kind of think all those things happen simultaneously. And so the Mount of Transfiguration is where all this is going down at once in front of the apostles. And the only reason I say that, and I, I suppose this is controversial. Some people are going to question what I'm trying to say here. But what I'm trying to say is, is that if we take time and space out of the equation mm -hmm. then it means that god can do anything and show us anything as it's a reality even though there's no sense of time associated with it so the book of revelation is john trying to describe all of time at once <laughs> you know what i mean he's he's mm -hmm. trying to describe recorded history even the parts that are recorded in the book of Revelation that haven't happened yet, you know. So he's trying to describe all of history, all of time, from what, what it looked like to him while he was outside of space and time. Does that make sense, what mm -hmm. I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, this is kind of that timey-wimey stuff that we associate with Doctor Who or whatever. But the point is that if you are listening to this and you have any inkling of of uh, knowledge and I'm I don't profess to have any particular profound knowledge or anything but if you just read popular journals and science and stuff like that or if you just read a really good authoritative magazine or you just watch a really authoritative show um although I'm not a big fan of his because he tries to refute the existence of god and the he tries to make out that Christians are silly and any Bible believers for that matter, but Neil deGrasse Tyson will tell you that the more they understand about time and space and the nature of the universe, universe the more they understand um, how relative it all is. Mm -hmm. You know, that it's all really about perspective. And so the point I want to make in our visit back to chapter 12 is, is even as John is telling us what seems like a linear description of the events he's witnessed, and we tend to read it in a linear way, I'm going to suggest that as we're reading Revelation, it would be better for us to imagine that we're reading a piece of ribbon candy. You know that stuff that you can get at Christmas time? Mm -hmm. It comes in ribbons, and it's all looped over each other, you know? I feel like it's it's more like that. I feel like that time, as Revelation describes it, is actually uh, rippled. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes he's on a linear journey across time as he's expressing what he sees. And sometimes he's looking across the gap between one part of time and another part of time. 
So if you're going down a road, this is this is exactly how um, this is how how people who who speculate about faster than light travel and stuff like that. This is how they describe time travel. They will say that if you imagine time as a linear thing, then it looks to you like it would take forever to get from where you are to where you want to be. But if you were on a road across the plains, you would have that problem. But if you were on a road in the mountains, then you could look at the road down below you as it zigzags back and forth down the mountain and you say to yourself gee if i could safely jump the gap between where i am down to where i want to be on my zigzaggy road then i would advance myself uh, in forward in time and if other people were staying on the road but you jump down the mountainside to the road lower down then you would have traveled faster than they did across the same distance. Mm-hmm. That's the Einstein's theory of, of time travel and so forth. Now, what am I getting at? Why does Revelation contain parenthetical stories? Why is Revelation right here in chapter 12 telling us all about historical events that have already occurred? Because just one chapter before that, in chapter 11, it was telling us about future events Mm -hmm. that involve these uh, two witnesses. Mm -hmm. So in chapter 11, we basically heard that these two guys preached through the duration of the first half of the tribulation. Then they died, rose again in three days, and ascended to heaven, and their ascent to heaven was the beginning of the Great Tribulation, which drives Israel out of Jerusalem and into the wilderness where they hide under God's protection for the remainder of the Great Tribulation. Now, we know that because of what we studied so far and because we interpreted what it says about the woman as being Israel, and uh, that's how we get that. Mm Mm-hmm. But if we back up to the beginning of chapter 12 and just look at what's being said in chapter 12, apart from what we read in chapter 11, then what we see is something that describes different places in human history. So bear with me on this. Okay. I want to read chapter 12 again. And uh, boy, you know, our listeners have been silent for the last few weeks. We haven't gotten any no. comments. Uh, if this one doesn't get you to say something like, Pastor Dan, you're cracked. I don't know what will. Or it might be a chance for you to say, whoa, dude, that's really heavy. You know, I don't know, but let's see what comes. Um, so chapter 12 says, A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed in, with the sun, and the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Well, last week we decided that that was probably Israel because, you know, we had the twelve tribes, um, and we understand that this this is a description of the birth of the Messiah, basically. And you have to listen to last week to understand how he came to that conclusion. Then another sign appeared in heaven, 
an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head, uh, heads, and his tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and he flung them to the earth. Well, now all of a sudden, we're seeing something that doesn't add up with our assumptions last week about the fact that it's Israel that we're talking about who is now escaping into the desert during the time immediately following the departure of the two witnesses. Okay? So, what I'm getting at here is all of a sudden in chapter 12, what we're hearing is a description of the setup for all the events that have occurred throughout the Bible. Okay, so first what we're hearing is, let's see if you go with me on this. So there is, at the time, I, I want you to think about it this way, and, and this is one of those nutty things I do when I preach that sometimes it works for people. So think about this for a second. At the time that Adam and Eve have sinned, and, and technically it was Eve's sin and Adam's uh, complicity. You know, he, he decides to go along with her because, as it was so poetically stated in uh, Paradise, Paradise Lost. Lost by Milton, he did it because to be with her was better in his mind than to live in paradise without her, mm -hmm. which is a lovely thought. But what it does say that can honestly be concluded is, is that Adam knew what he was doing. Mm -hmm. Eve was duped, mm -hmm. you know. So it doesn't mean women are inferior. It doesn't mean any of that. Please don't go there, people. But I want to drive home it's a just point. two different kinds of sins. Yeah, I just want to drive home a point here. That what we're seeing described in chapter 12 is the woman who is like the new Eve. And that makes sense in the sense, if you think about the fact that later on we're even going to hear that Jesus is thought of as the new Adam. Okay? So this woman is Israel. Mm -hmm. This woman is the household from which the Messiah comes. And that's what's being described here. And what I'm suggesting is, is that chapter 12 is describing to you how God, immediately after the fall of humanity, begins the process that will culminate in the events we're reading about in Revelation. He basically has chosen a bride or a nation that is going to be the instrument through which he saves the world. And the nation is Israel. And it's a people who will eventually produce the mother of the Savior, and the Savior will be born as one of these people. And so that's what makes not Mary so special, but Israel special in mm -hmm. God's eyes. That God has a special place in God's heart for Israel. And that's what this indicates here. Is so, so as soon as, as, soon as, a, as, as Eve and Adam see, sin, God starts plan B or probably plan A, you know, but it begins with building a relationship with a people group that starts with, well, really with Adam and Eve and their descendants goes right on through to Noah and eventually to Abram. And it's Abram who becomes the real father of this nation mm -hmm. who then becomes 
Israel because uh, because their their daddy's name got changed when he wrestled with God, and so um, that's when Jacob becomes Israel. Mm-hmm. Okay. But the point is, is that I'm looking at chapter 12 and I'm thinking, my gosh, chapter 12 is describing how we got this whole condition of good versus evil on earth. People say to me, how do you know how we got Satan and what did Satan do and how is this whole thing with Satan? I mean, I don't understand, you know, if God created you know, good and evil, what was up with that? Why didn't he just make everything good? Well, listen, the next thing it says in chapter 12, after this woman, Israel, is conceived or born into the story, then another sign appears in heaven, and it's this red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head, and his tail sweeps a third of the stars out of the sky, and they're flung to earth. Mm-hmm. And the dragon, well, no, I'm just going to stop there. Flung them to the earth. Mm -hmm. Well, if you go back to Isaiah, uh, I believe it's Isaiah 47. Let's see here. Isaiah 47. There we go. There. Isaiah 47. It says, um, I'm looking right now for the passage that I want. This is how well prepared I am. (laughs) I could have had all this laid out for you. um, Well, I'm assuming that what you're looking for is going to be something along the lines of a third of the heavenly host. Right. Isn't that 46 or 47? I don't remember. Um, One thing I am not good at is memorizing where things are. Okay, so... um, So basically we have this description in... um, in the Old Testament that I'm trying to find the exact location <laughs> for. Boy, I feel like a jerk. Um, <coughs> describes how Lucifer yes. falls from grace and, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, gets thrown out of heaven. And, and that's, that's what I'm looking at right here. Um, and some of you are listening to this right now going, it's... It's right here. You know, yeah. and, and you're trying to yell through the, the device you're listening to this on and trying to correct me and help me. But since you're not here, I have to do it all myself. So, uh, you know, when you know. The point is that he falls to earth and he takes a third of the stars. Right. And and that's, that's what I'm, because I was just looking for Lucifer in the... Um, but okay, so this is this is called poor planning. Um, while we try to nail this down for you, the point that I wish to make is that um, we have this description of the dragon, and um, in one of my translations, I was reading the uh, 
the international standard version, which is really a uh, interesting translation because it is deliberately uh, correlated wherever possible with the um, the Dead Sea Scrolls to try to take us back to one of the original mm -hmm. versions. And so here's what I read in that, that another sign appeared in the sky. This is the international standard version. The red dragon with seven heads, ten horns, and seven royal crowns on its head. Its tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky and knocked them down to the earth. Then the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it could devour her child when it was born. She gave birth to a son, a boy who is to rule all the nations with an iron scepter. But her child was snatched away and taken to God and to his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where a place had been prepared for her by God so that she might be taken care of for 1260 days. So that's the passage we read already. And, and what, I'm, what I'm reading in this, because I know I've really taken a long time to set this up, but what I'm reading in this that I'm trying to communicate here to you is that we're looking at a description in a few sentences that begins with the, the battle for humanity that is being fought from the very beginning of the world of sin. Uh, you know, in other words, uh, sin happens, and after that, this description comes up. So we have Israel, this nation through whom God is going to rescue the world from sin, and that's, that's this sort of uh, special relationship that's described with the woman. Mm -hmm. And then you read that, meanwhile, there is this adversary, this accuser who's been raised up or who has raised up and has taken a third of heaven to the earth with him. And he roams the earth, which we have described in the book of Job. We have descriptions of, of his sort of presence on earth and his constant effort to undermine God on earth. And then we have the passage from Isaiah that I was trying to locate and read to you that describes uh, how Lucifer was the bright morning star that eventually got cast out of heaven and took a third of the heavenly host with him mm -hmm. and was sent to the earth. And then we have this description in the book of Revelation that describes how that vicious dragon is in constant pursuit of Israel because the dragon knows that Israel is the source from which God plans to raise up the deliverance of the people mm -hmm. who have uh, a special place in God's heart. So that takes us back to when we were studying Esther in another class recently, and we realized that Satan is always looking for an opportunity to wipe out Israel, especially in the time prior to the fulfillment of God's plan through Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And so while the major event, salvation, has occurred, Satan has still got it in for Israel and in for Jesus because this is not over yet. Yeah. It's just mostly over, okay? So then we go to back to Revelation chapter 12, and at verse 7 it says, A war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought the dragon, and the dragon and its angels fought back. 
but it was not strong enough, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. The huge dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, was hurled down to the earth along with the angels. When did that happen? Well, maybe that's what we're hearing described in the Isaiah passage that describes Lucifer. Mm-hmm. So this was my whole premise. Okay. So, so the whole thing that I've been driving at for this several minutes now is to say, look, we have a uh, story that's being told to us in Revelation that's actually been told to us before in the Bible in different places. And there are different fragments of the same story throughout the Bible. Mm -hmm. And what we know then is that once upon a time, a war broke out in heaven and a third of the angels were cast out of heaven and Satan and those angels have ruled earth in a manner of speaking because they're no longer welcome in heaven. Because Michael's a boss and he kicked them out. Because Michael kicked their butts. Well, this war was fought. And, and then we hear that, meanwhile, God has a plan of salvation for the world that hinges on the relationship God has a covenant with Israel through. So this, this covenantal relationship between God and Israel is the source of God's plan of deliverance. So meanwhile, Satan on earth is constantly using his resources Satan's resources, because, you know, his is kind of a subjective thing, Mm -hmm. is all meant to be the undermining of God's plan to save the earth. So then we roll the clock forward. And so that's why I said that chapter 12 is my ribbon in time. Chapter 12 is describing the past, the present, and the future all at the same time. Because one minute it's describing how Satan and Satan's army fought in heaven, mm-hmm. which was far past, mm-hmm. possibly further back than is recorded in the Bible. Some people refer to this as that gap theory that goes between chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Genesis. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have in this in this few paragraphs, we have a description of prehistory, yes. biblical history, and then suddenly we have a picture of the part where the Messiah is born and Satan is determined to devour those children. Well, what do we know? I mean, we've got Herod's attempt to kill all the children born in, in Judea and Bethlehem. Right. And, and so we have this, this, this whole compressed version of the story told to us in a couple of paragraphs. So that's what I was getting at when I was describing our little ribbon of, of time that, that whatever reason John's writing this revelation of Jesus and he's describing what happened way back, way back, way back. Then he's describing what happened just way back. Mm-hmm. And then he's describing what's going to happen in the future when the woman is driven into the wilderness, as we just heard, as we were finishing the story of the two witnesses. And all of this is this parenthetical story that takes us up to the vision of the cry of victory which is then a sort of song about the victory um, in heaven. So here in verse uh, 10 of chapter 12, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now the salvation 
the power, the kingdom of our God, and the authority of his Messiah have come. So now the, the, the victory's won in heaven. Mm-hmm. And for the one who accuses our brothers, who accuses them day and night in the presence of God, has been thrown out. Who was accusing the humanity in the presence of God in the book of Job? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then when Job comes through for God and does everything as God had expected, we don't hear any more from Satan after that. The Ho Satan, the accuser, he's out of there. Our brothers conquered him by blood, the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they did not cling to their lives even in the face of death. So be glad, heavens, and those who live in them. How terrible it is for the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, filled with rage, knowing that time is short. Even that song describes the whole history of God's relationship with God's humanity that God created. Mm -hmm. It's all being described in that one song. So this parenthetical chapter is like wowzer. Yeah. Because it's constantly taking us from before time is recorded to after time is on on, on the verge of ending. Right. <laughs> you know, and all of this is happening over and over again in chapter 12. So this chapter 12 is kind of a mind boggling chapter. Yeah. In my opinion. And it sounds like you're with me now. I, I could see it on your face when I was starting this this rant. You you totally threw me. You did I did you did not warn me where you were going with anything. Yeah, and so when you were making faces at me at the beginning, <laughs> it was because you couldn't figure out what the heck I was driving at. Yep. But are you with me now? I think so. Yeah. So um, let's just. I'm going to go ahead and finish reading the chapter, <laughs> and then and then I want to let you talk for a while so I can rest my voice. That's okay. Um. When the dragon saw that it had been thrown down to the earth, it pursued the woman who had given birth to the boy. However, the woman was given the two wings of a large eagle so that she could fly away from the serpent to her place in the wilderness where she could be taken care of for a time, time and a half a time. From its mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river behind the woman in order to sweep her away with the flood. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed from its mouth. And the dragon became angry with the woman and went away to do battle against the rest of her children, the ones who keep God's commandments, hold to the testimony about Jesus. Then the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. So chapter 12 is this phenomenally mind-boggling trip all over the timeline. Mm-hmm. And that's why I say it's like the timeline of biblical history has been crinkled up into a ribbon that folds over itself because one minute he's telling us about prehistory, the one minute he's talking about the middle of history, and the next minute he's talking about the future. And he does this over and over again throughout the whole chapter. It's not like the chapter is laid out that way. It's like every verse you read in chapter 12 is a trip all over history. Mm-hmm. It's kind of blows me away. Yeah. But it also answers a lot of the questions that we ask about what the heck's going on and, you know, the big picture stuff. It's all there. Would you agree? Yeah, I would. 
So let's suppose for a minute mm-hmm. that you are talking to someone at church mm-hmm. and they say, I listened to your dad do that thing on chapter episode 26 uh-huh. about chapter 12 and he lost me. <laughs> But I heard you say, I'm lost, but now I'm not. So, Bethany, this person says at church someday after this, <coughs> how would you summarize what your dad was trying to say? I would say that chapter 12 gives the whole rundown. Because that's what it seems to be doing. I, like, Like you said, I think I would say, like, it's saying what happened from beginning to end. Um, Cause like the war in heaven thing is kind of where I was with you because I don't think, I think there's probably only one time where the war's in heaven ever. Um, I don't think Satan and his buddies are making it back up there. Right. To do battle. So I think when you read that part, it kind of, that was my light bulb was like, Oh, this isn't, This can't be future. This has to have been the original throwdown. Mm -hmm. Um, And then once I realized that, it made sense because, like, the the whole last section that you just read sounds like all these different times that Israel looked like they were going to get wiped out and then got delivered. Yeah. I mean, it's like, because it's saying she she got chased into the desert. So she got wings and got out of there. Yeah. Then he tried to blow her down with water, drown her, and the earth swallowed up the river. Mm-hmm. And so then he got mad and decided he was going to go mess around with the rest of her offspring, which sounds like a lot of things that have happened in history to the Jewish people. Yep. So then it starts, I think that's where it starts to make sense is it's saying like, this is everything that's gone down for them. Yeah. And now he's standing on the shore of the sea and he's ready. He's waiting for his next move. And yet it's also describing what I believe is going to happen. Yeah. In in other words, and this is why it's so weird. So like if I were, if I were going to try to simplify what I just said, maybe all I would say is, is that every time you read chapter 12, pick one thing. And try to think it all the way through. And I'll give you an example of what I mean. We did it last week. We said, okay, we just finished chapter 11 and the two witnesses and what happens after the two witnesses bug out. And literally Jerusalem is overrun by the enemy. And the remnant, the ones who believe and carry the message of Jesus Christ, remember those were the last words of the chapter we just finished reading. Mm -hmm they escape and they go into the desert and they find a place of refuge where God protects them. Mm -hmm. And a lot of scholars speculate that that's probably Petra. Mm -hmm. Well, let's think about Petra for a sec for a second. Petra is this city that is within these deep Canyon walls of the Syrian desert or not Syria. I mean, Jordanian desert. Okay. So, Petra is, in effect, in a place that if you tried to flood it, it would fill up like a bowl Mm -hmm. and everything inside would be drowned, right? Mm -hmm. So I pictured in my mind as we were reading this, gosh, they've just escaped Jerusalem into the desert. They've gone to a place like Petra where they're pretty secure 
And then Satan has this idea that I can get them. All I got to do is flood that whole area. And they're dead mm -hmm. because the very thing that they're using to protect themselves from me also makes them vulnerable because, and so somehow perhaps in the future, Satan or the enemy and the Antichrist decide that they're going to flood that area, which is going to somehow, you know, be accomplished. Who knows how they accomplish it, but they figure they'll flood it. And then that way. You know, maybe they find a way to break a dam somewhere and channel all the water down into that valley just to kill all those people because of his rage against them. And then it says that somehow the earth defends them by swallowing the water down into its depths and it never gets to them. Mm -hmm. Well, I can picture this happening. You know, I can imagine something like a dam bursting and someone doing that. You know, this kind of there's there's uh, uh, uh Oh, you know, Lacare's books about World War II and all the spy movies from World War II. They were always trying to bust dams and everything else because it was an easier way to get rid of a factory that made bombs or whatever. Mm -hmm. So it's not inconceivable that, that somehow at this time he's determined to kill those people and get rid of them once and for all. And then God miraculously delivers them by taking the water and just swallowing it into the earth. And so what I've done is I've taken everything we just read... And I've put it in the future. I've imagined that this is all happening in the future. But if all of the remnant is escaping, then who's he going to make war with? Well, it says that there were others in other places. Okay. That, that's what I, I just... I don't know. Yeah, so it says that there were others in other places that he's going to make war on because he's failed to get the ones who are protected in the refuge so he's so he's taken the battle that's the way i read that when it ends is that he's he's failed to get the ones who are god's protected ones in the refuge in the desert because he tried to kill them all with the flood and that didn't work so now he's going to make war on all the other ones who confess jesus who are out there okay that's the way I just read it. Is there any reason that it has to be future too, or can it just be a parenthetical thing? Because my only th reason for asking that is, like you said, it's timey-wimey stuff. John is in the throne room. Right. He's outside of time. So if he's seeing this stuff, does it have to be future and past, or could it just be past, but he's seeing it all in real time? Well... Yeah, I mean, it's entirely possible. I mean, you you asked me the question as though I have some sort of authority. No, well, I'm 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 just speculating. Just, well, me too. I was just about to say this is speculation. Like, I get what you're saying about it being the ribbon thing and it being present, future, all make like all together, yeah, like past, present, whatever. But I just am wondering, like. I mean, chapter also, 12 like, is just super complicated. Yeah, well, I'm just thinking, like, all of these things sound like things that we've read in other places in the Bible, so maybe he's just seeing it in real time. Yes. Or, well, outside of real time right. would be like, a better way. He's, like his real time. Yeah. Like I said at the beginning, can you imagine being a human being whose life is linear and all we know, I mean, I can imagine it because I'm living it. But can you imagine how a person who's lived like us, this linear existence, would try to describe what all of human history looks like in one view? Mm -hmm. It's kind of unbelievable, but somehow in the place where God exists outside of space and time, 
God sees it all at once. This is what I was getting at when I said I could imagine that the transfiguration and Moses's bush encounter and uh, Elijah's encounter with God, I could imagine all of them happening at the same time. So you're saying when they're on when they're on the Mount of Transfiguration, and it says that Moses and Elijah are with Jesus. Yeah, it's actually like Moses is having the burning bush encounter. Right. And Elijah's having, like, those are happening right. to them. And it seems like they're there with Jesus, but in their own time, they're having their big transformational moments. Right. Okay. Now, I, as I say that, I'm fully aware that other scholars have taken the transfiguration story and interpreted it in an entirely yeah. different way. Which doesn't mean that we disagree. Um because what I'm driving at is is that I could see how all of it could be happening at once. Yeah. All of it. Um, and that makes Jesus both carnate and precarnate at the same time. Because there is no time. You know. Uh, I, I guess that could also possibly impact the whole two witnesses thing then. Right. So I guess what I'm getting at is, is that in the end, what we hear from John is his human description of the view of human history from the very beginning to the very end, all at once. Compressed. And, and seeing it all in the same view because, because he can somehow. I, I'm not saying I understand it because I can't. Because I got the same problem John did, except that he got to see it. I didn't. So all I can do is guess about what he saw. But... It didn't really mess up your head. This chapter 12 thing, to, to kind of summarize it, because we're kind of getting close to our end time here. I End time. Poor choice of words. When we get to the end of our, our episode, if there's nothing else that people take away from this, I hope they're hearing me say... How phenomenal is the Bible as this message from God that tells us everything that is knowable. God doesn't keep any secrets from us. God says the only secret is when all this is going to happen. The final parts are going to happen. And that's a secret because, as we were saying the other day, if it's kept secret from us, it's also kept secret from the enemy. Yeah. But but God's not, God's not keeping anything from us. God's telling it all to us. It's just a question of our capacity to comprehend. And I don't profess to have any enormous or, or irregular capacity to understand. But what I do hear when I'm reading this chapter 12 is, is John describing a whole lot of things that happened throughout the entire history of God's relationship with the chief of God's creation, humanity. Mm -hmm. And it's just like he's all over the place. One minute he's describing the war in heaven that caused Satan to roam the earth to and fro looking for someone to tear up and devour, like it says about him in uh, Romans, I think, where he says that he's a, he's a lion on the prowl, basically. And then you have the same one who's been roaming the earth, and then he comes back to the throne room of God to lay an accusation. And that's in the book of Job, and it's the same one who's... Uh, now ruling on the earth during the last part of the tribulation because he's actually in charge for the first time. And the first thing he wants to do is destroy the remnant of believers that God has. And that's what, so we're, it's like we're hearing it all. We're, we're getting, in effect, a biography of Satan in chapter 12. Mm -hmm. I, I think it just dawned on me that that's what I'm trying to describe. Okay. 
chapter 12 is this sort of biography of Satan. <laughs> and, yeah. and, you know, then I think as we move on, we're going to see kind of the continuation of that. And then it goes back into real time. That is to say, now we're back in the future watching what's going to happen. So, you know. What I hear is that he's scrappy. Yeah. And he keeps trying. But what I also hear is that he keeps losing. Yeah. And, and you know, uh, I remember the old, back in 1982 or so, when they made the second Star Trek movie, The Wrath of Khan, and Ricardo Montalban was the real yes con you know i'm sorry i i really like benedict cumberbatch same but he's not con but nobody played con like ricardo montalban did and ricardo montalban is about to die and he looks across the void at his nemesis james kirk and he says with my last breath i spit at thee and then he tries to kill them all and History's full of people doing that. When they know they're defeated, they still try to take out as many as they can with mm-hmm. their last mm-hmm. gasp. And so, yeah, even if Satan somehow knows he's going to lose, he's still determined to inflict as much uh, pain on God. But I don't know that Satan believes that he's going to lose. I don't. I was about to say I don't think he thinks he's going to lose. I think if I he, don't think so. he is the epitome of vanity. He's the inventor of it. You yeah, might he say, is. <laughs> and and so his vanity is so far beyond the vanity that we've encountered in the worst narcissistic people we've ever met in our lives. Mm-hmm. And I just I have a feeling that he thinks that it's all a bluff. That he he thinks his enemy has underestimated him. Um, you know. It's entirely possible that Satan does not know that this is going to end poorly for him. Yeah, I don't think he thinks he's going to lose. So, you know. But the evidence shows that he keeps losing. Yep. Well, okay. I'm going to give you the last word here before I do the sign-off because (laughs) this has been pretty heavy on Pastor Dan, and I'd be interested to hear... You know, like I said earlier, like, like, how would you try to summarize what we've been talking about today in a way that would help people hear how you began to see what I was driving at? Not, not that this is about me being right. This is about you eventually saying, yeah, yeah, okay, I follow you. Well, I, that's what I was trying to say earlier is I, I caught up when it was talking about the war between the angels. Because like I said, I don't think that that... My sense is, yeah, he shows up in the throne room in Job, but, like, he and his cronies, they don't come back to heaven. Yeah. So that's where I, like I said, that's where I caught on is, like, well, okay, if it's talking about a war in heaven, I think that happened one time. Yeah. Because everything else is going to happen here. You know, like, all of the rest, all of these other epic battles coming up in Revelation, Mm -hmm. they're earthbound. Yeah. You know, so and I thought you hit on it. I thought you hit the nail on the head when you said it's a biography of Satan. Yeah. Yeah. Lucifer. Well, yeah, and I appreciate having that revelation, so to speak, before <laughs> we were done today. Yeah. Because I think that's probably the most succinct thing that I have said yet about yeah. this chapter. But, you know, for what it's worth to our listeners, um, this is 
critical thinking being demonstrated right in front of you. <laughs> and I don't presume that my critical thinking is in any way an example to be followed. And if there was video, they could have seen my critical thinking, which I think probably I blew a gasket at yeah, some point Yeah, today. I could see some steam coming out from under your, your uh, eyebrow there, I think. I don't know. Uh, I was twitching a little. But... But folks, <laughs> folks were just sort of critically processing this and saying, well, what is, ac- what is exactly going on here? And, and what's fun is that our faith informs us that it's trustworthy and true. The only thing we don't know is, is whether our interpretation is accurate or not. But beneath it all, there is some real truth that says to us, this is the story in a nutshell of God's relationship with this being called Lucifer who became the devil. Mm-hmm. This is what happened. And this is how it all ends eventually with the final showdown between God and the devil. But the truth is, is it's a one-sided showdown because it was over, like you said, when they got chucked out of heaven. Um, so it's very interesting. Yeah. And it goes back to, gosh, I shouldn't even go here, but now my brain's already gotten me into it. I've talked to people a lot over the years about how I've been taught that the book of Job is considered the oldest printed mm-hmm. text, or, but it really is more than that. What, what I've read from the different scholars and from my instructors in this, uh, one of the world's most foremost experts on the book of Job and the wisdom literature has been a teacher of mine, and I don't boast about what I know as much as I boast about what he knows. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, he, he had said that, you know, there is some potential that the story of Job is actually a pre biblical, like, like there's, there's a sense that this story may predate, uh, the flood, that it may predate certain aspects of Genesis. Like, like it's sort of a story that may have occurred around the same time as as it appears in the bible which is what most people think is the the driving force behind the scholars of the septuagint putting it where they did in the old testament or the the hebrew Mm -hmm. bible but there are some suggestions in the story and in its similarity to other ancient history that this may be a story about God's relationship with Job and God's relationship with Hosatan or Satan, the accuser, uh, in a time before the birth of the woman or Israel and the beginning of this whole drama that unfolds in the Bible. So, so if I didn't blow your mind yet, friends, no. <laughs> I hope I just... Did. Well, I know one of my favorite podcasts has a chronological, it's the Daily Audio Bible, and there's, uh-huh. they have a chronological version. Yeah. And I forget where they did it, but they did put Job midway through Genesis about. Yeah. Like they read Genesis daily, and then all of a sudden it was Job for a while, and then Genesis again. Uh-huh. Um, so there's yeah. people out there who think that. Like that's. Yeah. I mean, a lot of what I'm telling you folks can be checked and i guess my last word for you today is is that as i've often said to you bethany and i do this because it's something we enjoy doing anyway which is sort of an exercise in critical thinking and and the reason i get to bring my daughter into this environment is because when she was a young girl 
in grade school and, and junior high school, I was teaching her everything I knew about critical thinking because I was using it to get my education for my new career in ministry. <laughs> and I was becoming a pretty decent uh, scholar in my own right, not above and beyond anyone else that was equal to me in the, in the student status. But I was learning those skills in a new adult way for myself, and I was teaching it to my children when they were young enough to put it to much better use at an earlier age. And Bethany has been a star at that. So what we're doing right now is something that she and I have been doing since she was a little girl, which is just having these critical thinking conversations about this stuff. And yet you can verify what we're talking about because we're not just making this up. It, it's stuff that's out there. And the difference between me and a really skillful professor, scholar, whatever you want to call it is, is I would come into this podcast or even our face-to-face -face Bible study with all of it in front of me, and I would try to prove it all. Well, this is where so-and-so says and so-and-so says, but you know, I got done writing papers like that years ago, and I'm tired. <laughs> and, and if ever I'm asked to prove through a proper uh, academic process to to say what I think and then show why I think it I still know how but it's a lot of work and I've got a job I'm a full-time pastor and you know what I just don't have the time and the energy to do this this uh, footnoting and everything and it doesn't mean that I would ever disrespect you listeners by presenting you with anything that I couldn't footnote mm-hmm and that's why you'll hear me say very plainly, this is my opinion, because I've at least learned to show you the respect, listeners, to say <laughs> to you, I'm now giving you my speculation and my opinion. Whereas if I say scholars have said, it means that I know that I've heard this where I've read this and everything. And if I had to, I could go find it and show you. Mm -hmm. But right now, I'm just trying to serve you. <laughs> And, you know, with that, I guess we better go, Beth. It looks like we're coming up on an hour. Is mm -hmm. there anything else you want to say? Well, this will sound super, super opposite direction of scholarly, but I'm a little jealous of John because I feel like that was probably he got to see, like, the coolest action movie of all time. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm a little jealous. I think I think that is uh, an understatement, actually. I know. Uh, you know. Like, the coolest action movie of all time. <laughs> Michael and the Angels. Like, I'm a little... I'm, I'm, actually, I'm a lot jealous. Yeah, because, you know, it makes the Avengers and all that just kind of silly. I know, because Michael <laughs> would take every single one of them. <laughs> oh, that's great, Beth. Okay, friends, thank you for listening. I hope that this is a blessing to you. Don't forget to let us know uh, what you're thinking and how you're experiencing this. And if we're just really off our rockers, especially me, we'll just say so because then you'll have two choices. You can either wait and see if I get my act together or you can just quit listening. I don't know which is going to come first. <laughs> but if you like it, well, it wouldn't hurt to let us know that as well. For now, I just want to remind you to... Check us out at Shiloh United Methodist Church in Jasper, Indiana. You can learn about us at shilohum.org. That's S-H-I-L-O-H-U-M.org. And, of course, you can find us on Facebook and just follow the links in the description for this podcast. For now, God bless you and goodbye. Mm -hmm.